God, thank you so much for your, uh, your beautiful world, for the amazing things that not only you have created in this world, but that you've allowed us as people to create, and things that have lasted thousands of years, and, and just things that are new, Lord. We just thank you that each day you give us is a blessing, and may we take that in. And we thank you for your word that blesses us, and may we take that in as well. And we just ask your blessing upon us this morning as we receive uh, your wisdom and your guidance. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. If I were to ask you what is important in your life, what would be some of the things that you would list? What are the things that are important? Maybe you would include your family. You might say your family, if you're married, your spouse, uh, your kids, if you have kids, grandkids. You might say your faith. You might say the life that God has given you. You might list a number of these things as things that are important in your life. Oh, there's the family. There you go. But would you include the word theology? I don't think too many of you would have included in the top ten in your list of things that are important to you, the word theology. Now, theology literally means the study of God. And theology is important, should be in the top ten of our list, in the sense that the more that we know God, the more we can deeply understand who God is, we can love God more, and we can know how our lives relate to God and how God relates to us. The study of theology is very, very important. Important. And up to this point, we've been talking about the, the tenets of faith, the eco-tenets of faith, the, what we we're, believe we're as a denomination. And we've looked at some important theology, like the Word of God, how Jesus, how God the Son took on flesh and dwelt among us. The Word of God in the flesh. And we've looked at the, the literal Word of God of the Bible, God's Word to us. We looked at how important those things are for us. We looked at the Trinity, how God is three but one, how God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how God works together in that assembly of personage. We looked at the incarnation, why Jesus came to this earth, how he died for our sins, how he showed us the glory of God. We looked at the grace of God that is given to us fully through Christ, that even though we didn't deserve salvation through Christ, through God's grace, we received this wonderful gift. We talked about how we are covenant people to be in covenant with God. A promise that God makes to us and wants us to make a promise back to him and covenant together. And how we don't call ourselves members of the church, we call ourselves covenant partners because we covenant with each other too. We make promises to each other to support and encourage and love one another as God's people we talked about being faithful to God in all aspects of life. And how we need to be God's faithful children. So today we conclude the tenets of faith by getting very practical. We're going to get practical today by looking at ten ways that we are called to be in obedience to God. We will see that as we come to know God more deeply, we will want to show our love in action, right? Love is shown in action. And so by our being obedient, by our being faithful followers to God, we show how deeply we love God. And so we're going to look at 10 ways of how we are called to be obedient to God. You know, we've talked 
many times about sharing our faith with others. Evangelism, right? How we need to tell our story. But one way we tell our story, one way we show who God is, is by the way we live, right? We live in a world that doesn't have a moral standard. It's all relative truth, right? And we need to set the moral standard. We need to show the world that we believe in. We follow a God who transforms our lives to be the kind of people that God created us to be. And so let's get into this list and see what God challenges us with in terms of obedience. First of all, we're called to worship God alone. Of course, we know in the first commandment, right, we're told in Exodus 20, verse 3, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. See, God knew that there were people all around the Israelites, and he knew that these people worshipped other gods, and he knew that if the Israelites followed these gods and worshipped these gods, then it would take their focus, their attention, their devotion away from God onto these other gods, onto these other ways of living, leading them to a destructive and hurtful way of living. Now, as any parent would do, God, who loves us more than any parent loves their child, God said, I need to give them a set of standards. I need to give them commandments to help guide them, instructions so that they can know what is good and right, how they are to live their lives. And so he gives us these commandments, and the first thing he tells us to do is have no other gods before me. And so... First of all, we do this by living all of our life to the glory of God. Football season is uh, about to begin, although the, the college season has begun. Pro season is getting ready to begin. So football season is right there um, in front of us, right? I don't know if you're a football fan or not, but if you've ever watched a football game, one of the things you've probably seen when someone scores a touchdown is a touchdown dance, right? And do you know that many of these players actually practice these touchdown dances prior to the games, so when they get that touchdown, they know they can do a great dance, right? They want to look good when they have scored that touchdown. But the problem with that is what? That they are bringing attention to themselves, right? They're saying, look at me, look how great I am. I just scored a touchdown. I am wonderful. Look at my success, right? I need to be paid more money, right? (laughs) Kind of what that touchdown dance is saying. You know, too often in our own lives, we lift up our own accomplishments. We lift up our own successes. We want, we want to receive glory, right? But as we think about worshiping God alone, we need to understand that we must focus on living for God and giving glory to God. Even in our successes, knowing that God is the one who gives us life, who gives us talent, who gives us opportunity, who helps us to be successful. And so we need to not say, give me attention. We need to say, give God the glory. When we worship God alone, we need to give God alone the glory. But we also worship God alone by renouncing all idolatry, which is the second commandment that is given, having no idols. See, God tells us not to bow down to any other God or any other idol. We were created to worship. That is deep within us. So if we do not worship God, we will worship something, some possession, some person. We will worship. 
If it's not God, then it will be something that we should not worship. We will have idols in our lives, things that are important to, more important to us than God. But God says, renounce this idolatry and put my, your commitment, your focus, and your love on me alone. So along with worshiping a God alone, the second practice of obedience is we need to worship God in humility. Maybe you've been to a party sometime where there was a, a particular person, they're very loud, right? They talk loud, they tell stories about themselves, they talk about their successes. Why? They're trying to get attention on themselves, right? They're trying to say, notice me, right? Another way that people try to say, notice me. When it comes to God in our faith, we shouldn't be about saying, notice me, right? The Pharisees were all about that, weren't they? about dressing things. They're praying in certain ways. They pray really loud so that people will hear them pray and everybody would turn to look at them and like, oh, wow, look how, how holy and righteous they are. They're praying all the time, right? They wanted people to notice them. When it comes to our faith, we need to be humble. See, we have to understand that we are not Christians because we call ourselves a Christian. We're not Christians because we're better than the next person. We are Christians because God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, and then having faith in Jesus Christ, receiving this free gift that God has given to us, we say, thank you, God, for this free gift. And it is through Jesus Christ and receiving of this gift that we become Christians. We cannot even worship God without the Holy Spirit drawing us into God's presence and helping us to worship God. And so for this, we should be humble. We should be thankful to say, God, thank you that you have created me to be in a special relationship with you, special, more special than any other creation. You have created me to be in relationship with you, to worship you. I am humbled by this opportunity, by this relationship, and we worship God with humility. The third thing that we are to do is to have pure speech. One of the great gifts that God gives us is to be able to take our thoughts and, and to create speech, to, to communicate with one another through our speech. God wants our speech to be pure. Now, there are many, many Bible verses that talk about this, but I just want to mention three to you that, that challenge us with this. And when you see yellow, please read the yellow with me. Colossians 3.8, Paul says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. In Ephesians 4.29, we're told to not have any unwholesome words proceed from our mouth, but only those that encourage and build up. And then we see in Ephesians 5.4, Paul says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. What we say, what comes out of our minds, our mouths, shows what's in our heart and in our mind. If we're going to live obedient to the Lord, if we're going to be faithful Christ followers, then we must be careful of what we say and how we speak. Our speech should be pure. Then we get to the fourth aspect of being obedient, and that is to observe the Sabbath. I know Natalie a couple weeks ago talked about uh, the Sabbath and living for the Sabbath. But let me just highlight a couple of important aspects here of the Sabbath. First, the Bible tells us that the Sabbath is to be a day of worship and a day of rest. 
God has given us six days to work, and the seventh is to be a day where we rest from these regular work practices, and where we come into the very presence of God, and we worship in a corporate worship with God's people, and we take the time to reflect on a relationship with God, which we don't usually take too much time to reflect on. And we reflect on our relationships with God's people. And we reflect on our life and how we're living our life. And we think about, am I doing the things God is calling me to do? Am I living the life God has called me to do? It is a time of reflection and rest and connection with God. Exodus 20, verse 11. God concludes the fourth commandment saying, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested On the seventh day, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God gives us an example of how we are to rest. And God calls us to not only rest, but to come into his very presence and to worship him and to have that deep connection where he pours himself into us and builds us up and strengthens us so we can go out into the world and we can be a witness for him. And then we move on to honoring authority. The Bible talks about how God designed for there to be authority in this world. He set up positions of authority so that there would be order and direction. We may not always respect that person that's in authority over us, but we need to respect the structure. We need to respect the position and the relationship that we have with that person of authority. President Trump is probably the most controversial president we've ever had, right? There are people who fall on both extremes. There are people who love him and think he's the greatest. And there are people who hate him and think he is devil incarnate. There's great disagreement on that. But one thing hopefully we can agree, that we need to respect the position of president, We need to see that the position, that position and where it falls in the order of things is important. And that goes down to our our city council and to our policemen and to our teachers and to our church leaders. We need to understand that God has ordered things so that we can have direction. Read Romans 13.1 with me. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. We live in obedience by following this directive, by respecting the structure God has established. We continue. We eradicate anger and much more. The scriptures talk about there's all these things, anger and and malice and so many things that are in our life or can potentially be in our life, right? And when we become Christians, when we become followers of Christ, when God starts to transform our lives, we need to eradicate these things from our lives. See, the problem, though, is that we need to look at our lives before we are Christ followers. And we need to think, what are those areas in my life where I struggled? Maybe it was anger. Maybe it was bitterness. Maybe it was uh, um, promiscuity, whatever. There's all these different issues that we could have experienced when we were not Christians, not Christ followers. And when we become Christians, 
Those kind of follow us into our Christian behavior. We need extra prayer, extra strength from God to overcome them. Maybe we're an unforgiving person before we are Christian and we become a Christian and we still find that residue of unforgiveness in our life or resent in our life or gossip in our life. There's so many issues that could be there in our life and we need to, we need to not ignore them. We need not to think, oh, they're gone. They're not gone. We just need God's help all the more to overcome them. We have to be aware of them. We have to know that they are real. To live in obedience to God means that wherever you struggle, you need to give it to God. You need to be honest. You need to say, I'm still a sinner. And I still struggle with some things. Especially when you're out in the world, right? You can't say, oh, I'm this perfect person. And then a person looks at you and you struggle and you fall. And they're like, well, you're no different than me. Well, I'm no different than you. And that, yeah, I still struggle and I still sin. But I have a God who forgives me when I do. And I'm seeking not to do those things I know I shouldn't do. See, that's the difference. We don't try to mask it. We seek God for strength and for help and for forgiveness, that he would take it away. We get to our next one, which is maintain chastity. In the ego tenets of faith, Roman numeral, or Roman numeral three in letter E, it says this, Maintain chastity in thought and deed, being faithful with the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman as established by God at the creation or embracing a celibate life as established by Jesus in the new covenant. There's much here, but let me just highlight a couple of things. First, it says maintain chastity in thought and deed. Right? When Jesus came, he talked about even in your thoughts you can commit adultery. Even in your thought life you can sin. And so you give, need to give even your thought life over to God. You need to say to God, help me to not put bad things in my mind so that I'm not dwelling on those things. Help me to focus on you, Jesus, so that I can focus on those things which are good and right and pure and lovely and honorable. We maintain chastity in thought and deed by dwelling on good, God's word and God's way. But second, God has established clearly in the Bible Marriage is between a man and a woman, and we need to hold fast to this teaching and not let the ways of the world change our thinking. Third, we need to, to say, if you're not married, then you, you, you remain in chastity until you are married. And that includes not living together. I mean, we see that happen in our world, don't we? It's become an accepted practice to live in marriage and have sexual relations before people are married. We need to honor chastity in that way. We move on to our next. I know these are a lot. It's like, woo, like punch, 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 right? It's like, okay, there's a lot here. So the next thing is practice right stewardship. Next thing of living in obedience is practicing right stewardship. A lot of times people give a little bit here. And they give a little bit there, and then they feel good about themselves. Like, I'm a giving person, right? It's not about trying to just feel good about your giving. It's about just that being who you are. When we become Christ followers, we become generous, giving, caring people, where we look for opportunities to care for others, to give to others, to help others. There's a story of a family that was driving home from church one day, and the father was complaining about how long the service went. 
and the mother was complaining about how the choir was sang out of tune, and the daughter started complaining about how long the pastor's sermon was. And finally, the son chimed in. He says, well, not bad for $10. (laughs) Right? They give a little money in the offering, and they think, now I can, you know, complain about things, right? See, stewardship is more than giving a little bit of our money or a little bit of our time or a little bit of our talent. Stewardship is understanding that God has given us life and opportunity and money and talents and success. And we need to use all that we have to glorify God and to help others and to be just giving generous people with all of our life. It's not just about saying, oh, the Old Testament tells me I need to give 10%, so if I give 10%, I can feel good and I'm doing it right. It's not about keeping calculation of how much you give, writing down how many hours you serve. It's about just taking those opportunities that God gives you and having that generous giving heart and giving when God gives you the opportunity to give. That's what right stewardship is. It's about being thankful for all that God has given to us, his very son on the cross, and for us to be generous with all that we have. We get to the ninth one now. We're almost there. We're on the... We're on the downhill. The ninth one is pursue truth. Came across this quote the other day that says, I encounter one example after another of how relative truth is. That is so true in our world today. Truth is so relative. Whatever I think is good and right, whatever you think is good and right, and we just live in this society that is full of relative truth, right? There's no accountability. There's no, there's no challenge of what is true and good and right. Because of this, our society is in great disruption because there is no absolute truth in their mind. Then I came across this other quote that says, nobody in the world possesses absolute truth. This is God's attribute alone. That is so true. God possesses absolute truth. And praise be to God that he has given us his word to understand what his truth is. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16, and again, read the yellow with me. All scripture is God-breathed and is what? Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. We are told to pursue truth at whatever the cost and defend the truth. Too many lies are lifted up without anyone speaking against them. Maybe you're in a situation where someone is speaking something that is not true. You should speak up. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to attack them. It doesn't mean you have to confront them. But you should at least lift up what you know to be is true through the Bible. They may not accept it, but that's okay. At least you have spoken what is true. As Christ followers, we need to make sure that we are defending the truth. We're pursuing truth, we're understanding truth, and we're defending the truth in the midst of too many Lies being spoken and believed in our world. And then lastly, we get to our tenth thing. Tenth way to to be obedient. Resist envy and greed. We're not to be people who are always trying to acquire things. Instead, we are to live in a spirit of, of contentment 
Now, this is so difficult in our world, isn't it? It's so difficult to be content, right? We're always looking to others, what they have, what they do. And we're, we're, we're jealous. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I could go there. I wish I could do this. I wish I had this car. I wish I had this house. I wish I had this spouse. I wish I had this child. I don't like my child right now. They're not being obedient. Maybe if I had that child, right? Well, that's not true of my child. I love my children, so... But we're always looking to other things because there's so many things out there that we could possess. And God says that is not a good way to live. We need to live with a spirit of contentment. Paul challenges us in Philippians 4.12. He says, I know what is it to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That is the spirit of contentment. Whatever I have, wherever I am, wherever God has placed me, whatever is going on in my life, I trust that the Lord is with me, the Lord will bless me in the midst of all that, and I can be content wherever I am. Only then can we even hope to have happiness in our life. Can we even hope to pursue God fully? See, if we're always wanting other things, then we can never be content with who God is in our life either. Whenever I go to Mexico, it it's awakens me greatly, right? I look at all these situations and all these people, and in Mexico, the people that we are dealing with, they don't have much. But there is a lot of happiness, and there's a lot of joy, and there's a lot of love, and there's a lot of God. And it reminds me, I don't have to have all these super great possessions to be content in life. God knows that when we're in a spirit of want, we can never be satisfied with anything. Envy and greed will be our downfall, not our Savior. There's a story of a boy who was in the hospital, and he was a very difficult child, and he would give the nurses a really difficult time. Every day, they would struggle to work with him. And so this nurse got this idea, and she went out to the boy one day, and she said, I'm getting ready to go home, but I'm coming back tomorrow for my shift. And when I come back tomorrow, if you've behaved over the last 24 hours, I'll give you this dollar. And then she left. Then she came back the next day, and she went into his room, and she opened the door. She saw that the boy was underneath the sheets. And she said to him, I'm not going to ask the nurses whether or not you are good. I'm going to ask you. I want you to tell me, do you deserve this dollar? And there was silence for a moment, and then she heard from under the sheets, why don't you just give me a quarter? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you hear this list of ten things, you're like, wow, that's such a big list, right? How do I live up to that list of obedience, right? And the answer is, we can't all the time live up to that list. And in fact, The real answer is we can't live up to any of that on our own. We must ask God to give us the strength, the ability, the desire to be able to live in obedience to him. But we can say, I am seeking to live in obedience. And these ten things give us a good framework to remind us, what does it mean to be Christ followers? When we go out into the world... Are we going to be any different than those around us? 
Because if we're not, then our words and our message and our story is not going to mean anything to anybody. But if we're honest and say, I'm a sinner, and I fail, and I fall, but I desire to live in this way, and God has transformed me to desire to live this way, and I think I do okay with God's help, but when I fail, I know that I have forgiveness, and I have God's love, unconditional love always, and you can have that too. And so a list like this isn't meant to beat us down. It's meant to lift us up to have higher standards and higher goals. To live in obedience out of the motivation of our relationship with God and thankfulness for all that he has done for us. That's what it's about. Let me say that again. To live in obedience out of the motivation that comes from our relationship with God and the thankfulness we have as we see all that God has done for us. In this, we desire to live in obedience to God. And in that way, we seek to be Christ followers and we seek to set a standard and a witness to the world. Let us pray.